0: Welcome back to Overtones, I'm your host shazeb and I'm here to bring you the Clash publication experience. Overtones seeks to interrogate creative minds in music, film and fashion through themed commentary and focus interviews whilst also platforming the people behind the scenes, the unnamed heroes, the writers, tastemakers and creatives that make Clash the cutting edge music magazine it is. You can experience episode one of the series, a retrospective on 2021 in music with a forecast for musical acts we've tipped to make a breakthrough this year and beyond. I was joined by Clash editor Robin Murray and musical guest Nina Is, who detailed her journey to becoming an underground rap renegade. A reminder that our first print issue of the year is on newsstands and online via the Clash shop. It's a powerhouse issue with the internet Sid, Coffee, Brie Runway and Kalani as our featured cover stars with a special edition cover of Little Sims created in partnership with O2 Music. I was fortunate enough to profile Kalani, and that particular conversation unfolded very much like a talk therapy session. They've just released their third album, Blue Water Road, to much fanfare a few weeks back. I call it Kalani's adult contemporary era, a must listen. We have a steady stream of content across our platforms ripe for your viewing pleasure. You can read the latest features, experience the latest DJ mixes, get your live music fix on ClashMusic.com. Also check out our Next Wave and Astral Realm, a newly launched UK rap playlist, Free Flow, all on Spotify. New music curated and created to perfection. We're ramping up our partnership with Vera True Social for their Amplify series, which champions homegrown talent through get-to-know deep dives and performances filmed at our studio. Our collaboration with Pioneer DJ continues with a stellar lineup of female and non-binary DJs sharing their stories, curating incredible guest mixes in the process. A new episode of our Decoded series has just been unveiled with G-Folk singer Hack Baker. Hack joined me on the sofa to discuss his project, Misled. It's an honest, thought-provoking exchange with a musician who centres the community that made him. We've just filmed episode four with an artist leading the vanguard of alternative rap, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Now, for today's episode, we bring you a festival special. Later, I'll be joined by Strawberries and Cream festival founder, Priye Crooks, for our spotlight interview. He'll be sharing how he formed a festival with his friends, showcasing the breadth of black talent in the UK and abroad, a true carnival experience which boasts a lineup of once in a generation talent with underground artists. The pandemic ensured our favourite festivals had to go through enforced closures. Now we're navigating a post pandemic world. Festivals are making their comeback and the live music scene is returning with vigour and passion once again. And we need someone with a finger on the industry pole, someone charting an industry forever in flux. That person is Kiara Wilkinson. Kiara is a staff writer at Time Out, a go-to conduit for what's happening in the nightlife and live music scene. Kiara has an extensive writing portfolio, not just within music, but arts and culture as well. Welcome, Kiara, to Overtone. It's very lovely to have you in today. How are you?
1: I'm great. Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: We needed somebody versed in the world of festivals, festival culture, but also nightlife and the live music scene, which is sort of returning with full vigour once again after the pandemic. Um, but before that, I just wanted to get to know how you transitioned from music writer to focusing on on you know, nightlife and live music in general.
1: Mm. Um, well, I started music writing for a blog when I was in high school, to be honest, mainly as a way to go to gigs um, for free and kind of as a sort of entry to a world that seemed a bit inaccessible. Um, and then from there, um, I got really interested in club culture and just that whole world. And um, I don't know, it just kind of came from there. And then since then I have wrote for um, DJ Mag, The Quietest, um, The Skinny, um, and now I'm Time at London staff writer and I lead our nightlife coverage. Also do a lot of like festivals and um, music news and just kind of anything, events, anything that's happening in London.
0: As music writers, we're taught to be Uh, versatile we have to be very pliable in what we listen to and what we report on Um, I'm going to put you on the spot what style what genre of music do you like seeing live the most what do you think translates well
1: oh that is hard that's very hard (laughs) I did put you on the spot yeah it does it does really depend on my mood and who I'm with and where I am but I think recently I've been really excited by the next gen, the new generation like jazz scene especially like the South London jazz scene some really exciting jam sessions happening and just kind of like the interaction between um band members and musicians and pre-selling it just feels very organic and natural and I don't know it's just exciting it's kind of like it's it's kind of Reminding me that jazz doesn't have to be something that's chin-strokey. It's exciting Mm -hmm. and you can fuse it with different genres.
0: Watching music live, watching your favourite artists and bands and experiencing something very intimate and communal, that can be incredibly affirming and life-changing. What was a gig or concert or festival that changed your life?
1: I mean, there's been so many that have affected me in different ways um, and that I'm all very, very, very grateful for. Um, but the one that springs to mind was when I was probably about like 14 or 15, very young, very excited, um, and it was at Teen in the Park, um, and I was in my like indie phase. Um, I just remember being like, with like my hood up on my friend's shoulders, like belting out, um, like Can't Stand Me Now, by (laughs) um, the Libertines in the pouring Scottish rain, and I was just like, this is fucking great. And just like, I think it was sort of like that, the first time I'd seen live music, mm. open air and being exposed to the elements. And it, it's like this is what music should be. It shouldn't be something that's super polished. It can mm. be like rugged and and just kind of going from being a fan listening in my bedroom to being with all these other people just kind of singing along. Mm. Um yeah, it was great. I might not enjoy it so much anymore, but But I think it's no, a good point about yeah, phases. Yeah, phases, yeah. like and kind of yeah, how your music tastes change and how like you grow up and maybe you want to experience music in different ways and um yeah yeah definitely teen apart.
0: <laughs> so festival culture is an innate part of this country's identity what's your favorite part about festival culture in the UK mm. what do you think we do differently to festivals that take place in Europe
1: um I love so much about festival culture I love like the fashion and meeting new people and like the escapism, the fact that it's kind of like a holiday, but, you know, definitely music's the best part. And I think, like, the um, the diversity that of British music is reflected in the festivals a lot of the time. Um, and I just like how it's kind of, you know, if you trust a festival's cura- curation, you know you're going to find um, really exciting artists and bands there. So it's like a treasure trove of discovery. Um, that's what I enjoy most of it. So you always come back from festivals being like, I've got to listen to this artists or bands a lot more, or like even you go before and you check out the lineup. If there's one you're not going to, you know, you trust that festival and you Mm -hmm. like the other people going, so you know that it's it's like a discovery thing, I guess.
0: We've seen festivals create experiences that go beyond sort of a conventional setup. So festival goers aren't just going for the music now, but something a little bit more holistic. Which festivals, UK or internationally, do you feel are breaking new ground in this way?
1: I mean, I think since the pandemic, there's been so many, um, especially in London um, that I know of that are, I think it's kind of like, if communities um, are not seeing themselves represented in lineups from bigger festivals, they're like, okay, we're gonna do this ourselves Mm -hmm. and we're gonna make our own platform. So festivals like dialed in, like um, Risen, like body movements, like Flesh Festival. There's so many um, in London that, you know, they're about, you know, for, you know, it's not just kind of like, I don't know, the scripts and like, yeah, indie, you know, the Gallagher yeah. <laughs> Brothers, which um, I don't know there's, I guess some people, like those are time and place for them, but um, that's not all that UK music is. Mm. Um, and not all that nightlife is as well. But I think it's a really exciting time. I this. mean,
0: on that note, certain festivals in the UK have still been accused of boasting yeah. you know, one note lineups, courting problematic headliners, or simply not reflecting the range of music we consume in the streaming era. What are your thoughts on the lineups this year? Do you think there has been a concerted effort in promoting underrepresented artists, queer artists, black, black and brown musicians, genre-specific lineups? Or do you feel like we're still lacking in that area?
1: I think there's still a lot of work to be done, especially with the big kind of blockbuster ones. Um, Mm. But there has been improvements. I think that, um, you know, the pandemic definitely, there was a lot of conversation during the pandemic with Black Lives Matter and um, about kind of women's safety um, and diversity and inclusion. And there has been some, I mean, if you look at like Glastonbury and Primavera, like they're, you know, They've got great like gender split. Absolutely, Um,
0: Primavera is amazing. Yeah,
1: I'm going in um, June, and I'm so excited. I'm very jealous. I'm not going. Very excited. I feel like, yeah, it's going to be a good time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not reflected in everything. Um, but there's also so many festivals that there's like probably I think there's about over a thousand festivals in the UK a year now. Which I just
0: feel like for some festivals, unless you have a really marked identity, yeah. How do you stand out? How do you stand out?
1: Yeah. I think that some festivals are definitely kind of riding on the brand that's been established for such a long time. And people know that as a thing. And like, they maybe aren't even looking at the lineup. They're just going because they're like, okay, like, this is a chance to get fucked up with my friends in the field. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, (laughs) some people, like, that's you know, that is also kind of a good thing about festivals is it's, you know, it's a safe space to do things like that. Mm. And that's, you know, some people go clubbing and they don't pay attention to the DJ that's playing stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, if we're talking about like music and what music festivals can, um, you know, what they represent, then I think that there's a lot of work to be done, especially with the bigger festivals.
0: Mm. I mean, using your expertise, what events, upcoming festivals would you recommend to festival goers seeking something outside of the norm outside of the mainstream mm.
1: um i mean i mentioned them before but body movements was great it's like a celebration of queer club culture mm. in london i the first one was last year and i think they they still had a little bit to do with um the setup but you know it was the first festival and the, just the sort of the concept of it and then the vibe um from that um kind of concept was just like immaculate mm. um, in my opinion um and there's a few other new ones, um, Pussy Palace have just announced today actually that um, they've got Overflow Festival, which is like queer, trans, non-binary, black, indigenous and POC talent, um, wow. that's in London. There's um, there's one called High Alive, which is a bit smaller. It's um, women artists from the Southwest Asian and North African region. Um, and it's like a series that starts in London and then it continues in New York, Beirut, Cairo. Nice. Um, and I think that kind of, you know, it gives us questions like, what actually is a festival? Is it is it somewhere, a big field where you camp and then it's like a weekend? Or is it a concept that can be across different countries? It can be, you know, like the pandemic forced us to make some festivals go digital. What's happened to that? Like, I feel like there is so many opportunities for accessibility um, and that maybe people aren't using as much or they've forgotten about. And also, I mean, I feel like there's so much conversation about diversity and inclusion with gender and, um you know, POC and, um, you know, minority groups, but there's not big enough conversation about accessibility. Like, you know, um, yeah, there's not that big a conversation about accessibility in festivals. It could be louder. Um, You know, how can we make them more friendly for people with impairments or have trouble with mobility?
0: As someone who's written extensively on this, do you think we still have far to go in terms of festivals cultivating truly inclusive and safe spaces for festival goers?
1: Yeah, we definitely do, um, and what I think is sad but also inspiring in ways that there's lots of projects that um, are being set up, um, for, especially by women who are concerned about safety and they still want to have a good time, so there's a campaign called Don't Be a Creep, which is run by um, Ruby Savage, and that's kind of like a poster campaign and just like a really fun way of messaging, reminding people to check themselves, to check their mates. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an app called Where You At, and that was made for like clubs and also for festivals, spaces that won't always have good um, service. Um, and that's when it's basically kind of works in a find my friends sort of way where you can kind of keep track of your friends and stuff like that. But it is sad, like why do these things have to exist um, in the first place? Like there needs to be, you know, more people in hand that you can speak to if you feel uncomfortable at festivals. There needs to be more drug testing facilities. Um, there needs to be, you know, accessibility, like I said, there also needs to be more um, schemes in place to like open up festivals to people that, you know, they deserve to see this sort of culture, but maybe they're on a lower income, you know, more free and discounted um, tickets for people. There's so much that could be done. Um, But I think what you said before about, um, you know, festivals being, you know, completely separate from politics and other forms of society, I just think like, if that's kind of where people think festivals should be going, I don't want to be part of it because, you know, Festivals have always been counterculture. That's where they were born. And that needs to keep happening because otherwise what are they? They're fucking boring. Mm.
0: <laughs> yeah, and homogenous. Yeah. Um, you did answer a part of this question before, um, because there are so many festivals out there. kiara which festivals are you looking forward to personally? And you're allowed to name some guilty pleasures is absolutely fine. Oh
1: yeah. <laughs> um, guilty pleasures. Maybe this isn't even a guilty pleasure, but um Yeah,
0: why why do we have guilty
1: pleasures? Yeah, why pleasures? is guilty we pleasure just enjoy something unabashedly? Exists. Yeah. Um, but Mighty Hoopla is like a really fun nostalgic lineup and it's just like a big it's big fun party There's no pretense like I'm really looking forward to that. Who's There's, on the lineup? I saw, they've I got saw like my this... girl Katie B on the lineup. Yeah, like Am the right? OG yeah. sugar babes. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, I think it would just be so much fun um, And Green Man, I've never been but I'd really like to go. I feel like they're doing great stuff with like um, You know, they're using like alternative power sources and they also have got a really sick lineup mm. um I thought the um, Pitchfork Music Festival last year they had some really sick shows. Um, I saw, I see, I saw Earth Eater and Giant Swan. Wow. Um, and they're just like really on the ball with, um, you know, like programming hot names. Mm. Um, and what else am I excited for? So many. Um,
0: Which festivals? You know, I feel like because it is such a saturated market. Yeah. Are there any festivals doing uh, innovative, truly innovative, groundbreaking? work that goes beyond the lineup you know mm. immersive audio visual uh, any anything you would, yeah. would recommend along those lines
1: there's one in Sh- i think it's in sheffield i think it's is it called no bounds festival um rings a bell and they do a lot of like audiovisual stuff as well um which is cool and like ava festival at Printworks did a lot of mm. audiovisual. um And I think, like, that's good to kind of spotlight that because it's always such a, you know, it kind of a lot of the time comes hand in hand, especially with, like, electronic dance music. But, like, these are artists in their own right, so they deserve to have their name on lineups as well. Um, I think, like, I'm really enjoying when festivals have got, like, um, talks and panels and stuff going on. I think, like, you know, it's good to use these spaces to talk about, you know, the industry and just issues and life. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. I'm also really looking forward to We out here this summer. I went last summer, and um, they had just such a such a great like new generation like jazz and soul artists, and then um, a lot of really fun like club um, electronic DJs and producers um, at nighttime. And it was just a beautiful place. It was it felt clean, nice crowd. Um, but I also think you know like taste change with age, don't they? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if I'd enjoy moshing and losing my <laughs> pocket <pulpit> at <laughs> Tina Park. <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> i remember going to Lovebox. i think Lovebox mm. was my first festival i think it was in two actually i'm not going to say what it was because that will show my age <laughs> um but that was that was a unique experience because i feel like i'm i'm just a one-day festival kind of guy i don't i don't like mm. uh, camping i don't want to be there for a week um so it's a bit ironic i'm hosting this but um in terms of like festivals that host like multi-day events um, internationally you know I think safety is a big concern Um, you want to be safe when you're going to the festival but also when you're immersed in the city as well Mm. where are some safe festivals that people can look forward to you know as that doubles as a festival but also as a holiday destination and you would recommend
1: oh so you're talking about kind of like beachy absolutely yeah Yeah. I mean summer's coming
0: but yeah with safety
1: Um, yeah, I, I think it's hard to say like, oh, this is gonna be a safe thing because nothing's yeah. ever safe. Things can True. be safer where they can be like nice environments. Um but yeah, I don't know, there's so many. Um there's one there's quite a lot of an, in Albania that have been popping up. I feel like Albania is kind of like the new Croatia Oh, wow, okay. Um quite a lot of like electronic music festivals. Um, in Albania that have been popping up.
0: Back to your music writing, what do you have planned? Anything you've be commissioned that's uh, related to um, festival culture, live music, nightlife? Mm. Um, Anything you're researching at the moment?
1: Oh, um, and I recently wrote uh, a big oral history about Coco, which just opened in London. Wow, yes. um, which so was obviously really fun.
0: That, had, that was reinvented.
1: Yeah, it's just been so many guises of that venue, and I think it really sort of shows how... A special venue can like make so many different subcultures and sounds mm-hmm. and um that was really fun to write and um what else have I done recently um I feel like I've got some I've got lots of stuff <laughs> I just can't think of it I mean it's uh, right as it's just a rotator <laughs> isn't it a
0: conveyor of writing um, but that actually that Coco piece I've I've read it's very good um part retrospective but kind of like forward facing as Mm. well this is where Coco is at um go and read that piece from Kiara Kiara Wilkinson where can we find you on Twitter Instagram are you on socials
1: yeah I um on Twitter I think I'm just at Kiara Wilkinson there might be a dot in there I don't know (laughs) I think so um I'm trying to make myself use Twitter a bit more um but it's a frightening world um Instagram at Kiara Wilkinson um I'm on TikTok, but I don't want anyone to see my TikTok. I'm on TikTok, but I'm not
0: actually on TikTok. Uh, yeah, I think I'm one yeah. of those roamers. Yeah. But never active.
1: Um I think this summer is gonna be funny with seeing all like the festival TikToks mm. and stuff. Um yeah, that's that's kind of my my socials. I'm not a huge social gal, but I'm trying to force myself. <laughs> so
0: thank you so much, Kiara, for coming in and giving us your your insight into into what's ahead. Um and I think we'll do a part two. Soon, you'll be back.
1: Sick, thanks. Thanks so much.
0: Now, Strawberries and Cream Festival, Childerly Orchard, Cambridge. This started as a club night by a group of friends and it's become a cool distiller of rap, R&B, Afrobeats, dancehall, drum and bass, house and garage, the list goes on. It boasts a true gender-balanced lineup, a festival experience rooted in community and a celebration of Black artistry. I'm here with Priya Crooks, the founder of Strawberries and Cream. Priet, how are you?
2: I'm good. That was a banging intro as well. I really <laughs> want to steal that. Someone send that to you. You come up with that. I came up with that. I, love it. I can
0: send it. I want it afterwards,
2: yeah. Thank you for having me.
0: It's good to have you on. Um, we'll be discussing this year's festivities mm-hmm. shortly, but I wanted to start by going back to when you just had the bare bones yeah. of the idea. So this is 2014. Yeah. How did you connect with Chris? The team the team? What were those early conversations like and how did you make it a reality?
2: So we were, I was at Cambridge Uni, I was 18. I went to study politics, which was, I always say, was the subject I was least bad at and made my my mum happy, which is why I went. And I always say that university is obviously known for its academic stuff, but the the music there, all the club nights were playing, like Britney Spears, Whitney Houston, who I I love, but it, it wasn't what I was listening to back in London. So I went to one of those fresher fair things and, and bumped into a couple other guys who had this idea to start a club night, 200 people, nothing special. And we would just play music that we heard in London. So Skept, uh, Tiny Tempo, whatever it was. And, and that was the setup for a year. And, and we used to take one pound commission from every ticket that we sold. We didn't get to more than kind of 200, 300 people for that, for those first 12 months. And, but what we did do is we started working with all the other kind of. I guess, parts of Cambridge City, so the locals, Angular Ruskin University, and we started building up a little team from all those communities. And at the end of that year, we thought, why don't we just put all those communities together, put something on in the garden, and that was kind of fundamentally how it started.
0: You're also an
2: A&R at Sonia I am, yeah, which so is that... where I should be right now. But <laughs> I, don't, I, don't tell I think
0: that lends itself very nicely mm-hmm. to... I guess, finding the next big thing in music. Yeah. That's what the festival does so good. Yeah. Um, and it gives them a platform. That's essentially what yeah. strawberries and cream is, right?
2: Absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I always wanted to go into A&R. So I, I guess doing the festival was one of the ways I could get that job. But I think also to be very, like, I'll be really transparent this whole this whole time. But like we were at that time, we didn't have enough money to be booking Rita Aura or, or right. Tiny mm-hmm. so our, our niche and our way of kind of becoming competitive was could we find people and book them knowing that they were going to blow up six months later so I remember it was 2017 we had a really I'm going to say lucky year because we didn't plan it that well but we <laughs> booked Jay Huss and AJ Tracy. So the, this is
0: before they were big?
2: Oh this was just before Huss won his Brit wow. but did you see okay and I think it was maybe a year before AJ did Labbrook Grove or a year or two but like not much money at the time but they, they started to blow up in those months that came. We actually did to the year before, mm-hmm. just before he did shutdown and just before Kanye brought him out of the Brits. Wow. So it was those two years back to back where we, we booked artists for, for reasonable prices at the time and then they really blew and that was what allowed us to sell you know, more tickets than we probably should at that time. There's more of you
0: within Strawberries and Cream team. Yeah, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, th- you, they're all integral to upholding this Absolutely. marquee event in the festival calendar. But tell us how you all realize this slogan this ethos which i love celebrate heritage champion future we've talked a bit about it before but yeah how do you all come together what does each of you do to to realize this slogan? yeah
2: so the champion future thing was you know we just mentioned it was about like finding artists at, at great prices that we thought were going to blow up that we loved, um, and we were so proud about like finding those artists and developing relationships with those artists we'd be out a lot of the time in london chris who's obviously not here is or was a model so he went to a lot of parties with a lot of artists i was doing a and r at the time so that was that was an easy one the celebrate heritage was again kind of and i'll be honest a lot of it was to do with finances at the time but it was about finding artists that were as big as possible that we could afford and and it wasn't going to be the artists who were having number ones at that specific minute in time right. it was going to be the artists who had had number one but were perhaps you know coming to the later stages of their career and so that first year, I think that we booked Grandmaster Flash. It's obviously a legend from the 70s. Then we did Nelly. Then we did um, T-Pain. And then we did Shaggy. And these were all artists. Obviously, everybody knew the names of them in Cambridge. But they had had their monster hits, you know, three, four, five years before. So that kind of juxtaposition of like a T-Pain with a J-Huss created that mantra, Celebrate Heritage Champion Future. And we, we kind of just built it all from there. And we've actually kept it going, to be honest, because it's really worked. Cambridge is a region where, you know, they like new music, but they're also big into their classics. I said, like the club nights were filled with Whitney Houston and Britney Spears. So Lil Wayne this year for us was a really was a really obvious choice because he kind of had that heritage aspect of him and everybody knew him. Um, And then we could kind of join him alongside the the exciting artists of today. I Mm -hmm.
0: I might as well ask you now, how did you secure Lil Wayne? Lil Wayne. (laughs) What went into those negotiations? (laughs) We begged. It is his only European show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This
2: year. Well, so Little Wayne got he, he got pardoned by Donald Trump, right? <laughs> right. Last two years ago. Okay. Yeah. So he's not being allowed to be here for, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And um no one noticed that he'd been pardoned, to be honest. And there was a long list. I don't know if everyone remembers, but like Kodak Black was on the list. It was loads of guys in in and outside of music. Right. So we started to think, well, if he can come here, maybe it's worth just reaching out. So we reached out to his amazing agent and his team. And they were like, Yeah, like technically speaking, he can he can come to the UK. So wow. we were like and, you know, Snoop was like, there was loads of artists on that list. And so we were like, great, let's go for it. And we spent four and a half months negotiating um, and we ended up getting him in.
0: I mean, that's insane. I think what's remarkable about Strawberries and Cream is you managed to sustain the event during the pandemic. So yeah. you were just one of a handful of festivals that operated in 2021. Mm-hmm. What went into sort of the work to ensure it was safe in this climate? Yeah. What were the challenges? How did you overcome that?
2: So, oh God, it was awful. So we, it was 2020, we thought we were going to do a festival. We had Sean Paul booked with somebody else, can't remember, and we had to pull it. Very, very luckily that year, we partnered up with Sony. So we became Sony's kind of first owned festival in Europe, wow. second in the world behind Pharrell Williams' festival in Virginia. And so Sony were amazing. They helped us you know, steady the, the, the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and and am- amazingly, we're just like, let's get cracking straight away. So we started planning straight away, booked Sean Paul again, booked Party Next Door from Canada, had to push the festival back because I know everybody thought COVID would be over in a year ended up not being a year, Um, but just about managed to get through it. And um, last year, September, we did the event, went really well, went to two days, did kind of 15 plus thousand people Mm -hmm. and have just been building for this one ever since.
0: Well, I mean, you are scaling up this year. So strawberries and cream 2022, less than two months away. Six weeks away now. Six weeks away. Yeah. It's taking place on the 17th to 19th of June. Yep. You are scaling up to three days. Yep. Ambitious, but completely justified. Very ambitious. Maybe <laughs> stupid. But we'll see, won't we? <laughs> I mean, we've spoken a little bit about Lil Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um, talk me through securing other like huge artists, but also newcomers uh, in that lineup. So you've also got Remmer. Yep. Oh, God, and then you've got Thames. Yeah. You know, we all love Thames. Yeah. These are really big Afrofusion artists. Yeah. Ha- so- what went into the, creating that lineup? So I guess the
2: concept of Strawberries, apart from that slogan, was to was to be kind of a festival which had all the kind of tastemaker artists from the different communities of music that kind of make up youth culture. So Cambridge is a huge drum and bass area, so we've always had a big drum and bass stage. We've got Wilkinson sub-focus there this year. Uh, we've always had a house stage. Last year we had Honey Dijon. This year we've got Dennis Ferrer. Um, and I guess on the main stage, last year we put Burner Boy, went down really, really well. And I really wanted Afrobeats to be a part of that. Thames is signed to Sony, so I was very lucky. Sony
0: connection, yeah. I was just able
2: to, you know, <laughs> maybe listen to a couple of songs that were coming out in the in the future. And and we made a decision ages ago that like, you know, she was going to have a big year. Remmer, I just love. I didn't, we didn't, I didn't talk to anyone about that one. I just, I just wanted to book Um But yeah, it was just to hit all the verticals of of you know what young people listen to. So R and B, we booked LMA. We dropped her album today, um, which I was listening to on the way here, and is great. Um, in kind of the more pop leaning world we've got Mabel and then and I guess on kind of the the new for 2022 or the or the people who are coming up we've got Nux who also dropped an album today who I'm buzzing about we've got Children of Zeus we've got a dope um artist called Annie um and yeah it all just came together really nicely and and the aim is that you get to that festival and you're as much discovering new genres that you didn't know about as well as listening to things that you know you did, and and that's what I think hopefully makes it really exciting.
0: You've mentioned some of the lesser-known artists. Yeah, talk me through some of the specialist stages you have. Yeah, that's what's really special about Strawberries and Cream. Yeah, the versatility.
2: Definitely. So we introduced last year an all-female carnival stage, which is actually if I, if anyone comes to the Strawberries and Cream this year, that's where I'll be the whole day. Um, it was last year it was with Clark's the brand, and they kind of brought eighteen, um women down to 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 basically play carnival music on a carnival float and it was amazing so this year we just wanted to do it again obviously it's three days now so there's even more artists and the special guests coming on that stage are katie b and lisa mafia so that area (sighs) nostalgia factor oh yeah man that area is just going to be a real notting hill carnival Mm. vibe which i really really like obviously we've got drum bass in the house stages we spoke about um we were looking at introducing an Amma piano stage which may or may not come We'll, uh, we'll talk about that. That I mean, <laughs> would be that yeah. would be huge. Yeah, exactly. Check check the Instagram page in a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, I think it's always just been about introducing new genres of music that are really exciting. And, and so we've got that coming. Uh, and there's more to be announced in the next couple of weeks. I
0: mean, you've answered this a little bit um, prior, but what does a festival yeah. performance of this caliber do for artists that have no social traction? They're yeah. very much at the beginning of their journeys. Like... How big is it for them to be performing at Strawberries and Cream?
2: Uh, yeah, it's big. It's big. I think live is super important. We all live in a world, obviously, where social media is so big now and people are breaking records of TikTok and of Instagram. But I will always say, like, I think live is the is the fastest and best way to develop bands that are going to be with you for for your whole career. I agree. So, you know, that opportunity for, for there's art, there's an amazing new artist called Tamira who's going to be playing four hours before Little Wayne or... Wow. You know Miss Banks, who has been around for a while, but is now like really, you know, coming into her own. Like, you know, they're going to be playing to ten, twelve thousand people, and and it's and it's great. And it's and there's a lot of people, and I guess something that I love, there's a lot of London artists that come to Cambridge, and then you know the majority of their audience will be London based or city based. And and I think the thing I really like is they're going to meet so many um, attendees who may not have heard of them, may not be familiar with them, but will leave being fans. And I think that's that's what we do.
0: We've seen with other festivals, uh, lineups are still quite homogenous, yeah, all white, yep. very lad centric. Yeah, Strawberries and Cream counters that narrative with a 60% lineup of artists that span female non-binary spectrum spectrum. Mm-hmm. But it's also about the experience away from the stage stages. So you're making sure the event as a whole mm-hmm. is safe, Definitely. inclusive, and accommodating. Um, what work goes on behind the scenes to ensure? Strawberries and Cream is truly a safe space for festival goers and for the artists. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of work is the
2: answer. I think it became really obvious to us after kind of the fourth or fifth year that we were going to have all these people on site and it was and it was important that it wasn't just about playing music and then we're going home. I think if we had that opportunity to have people with us for 24 hours or 48 hours, we were promoting, you know, ethics and ideas that we felt were really important. And I think we heard a stat three years ago that forty-two percent of all women have been assaulted at a festival. And like I don't want to none of us wanted to be a part of that narrative. Yeah. And none of us wanted to put on a festival that contributed to that. So and, and and it's not all me actually, big up the team who've been fantastic in this, but you know, we started reaching out to bodies like Girls Con DJ, yeah. um, United Nations women and and you know, to have these conversations and, and as much to learn as to as to work out what we can do. Um and, and what's happened as a result is we've been really focused on making sure that lineup is gender balanced because I think it affects the demographic of people who come. I think it's really important to be talking to you and women about, you know, uh, manifestos which we released before the festival. We do not want you on the site unless you, you know, are thinking a certain way and behaving a certain way. You know, if there are issues on site, God forbid, we want to make sure that there's a part of the site where people can go to and feel comfortable. We want to make sure there's extra security so people can get home safely and that's not an issue for you not coming. Um, and it's developed year on year and I think it's become, you know, as important, if not more important than the music to make sure that, you know, there is an environment there where people feel safe and we're promoting the right thing. So we love it and we will be doing that for as long as this festival goes on.
0: What are some of the highlights, milestones that you're most proud of?
2: Yeah. Um, J-Hus was a good year, yeah. 2017. I think that that was the first year I looked at it and I was like, Okay, this is no longer something that we're doing for fun. I think, you know, we could have a run at this lasting for a little bit of
0: time. So is that the year you felt okay, we've hit that. we're hitting the big leagues. Oh yeah,
2: until then we were we were still drunk at the events. <laughs> like I remember the first two years I left before the end, right. you know, we got off with my mates. We were we were, you know, all over the place yeah. to be honest. And I think twenty seventeen was the first year I thought, wow, this is actually becoming a festival now. Until then we called it a garden party, to mm. be honest. So that was like a festival moment for me. Okay. Um, I think last year with the new site going to two days and, and kind of surviving COVID as a brand was a, was a big deal as well. So that felt really nice to see that happen. Um, but yeah, it's all, it's all been great. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of work. It yeah. can be, there's lots of lows, lots of lows. As I'm sure Rachel knows, <laughs> she's seen me very upset. Hey, Rachel. <laughs> Hi, Rachel. Um, but it's great and I can't complain and, and,
0: and we love it. so. You're already planning next year's festivities. Is that that something you kind of uh, ascribe time to? Okay, we're not going to think about it until months from when this festival 2022 happens. Mm. You already... We've started booking. Wow. We've
2: put our offer in for two headliners, which I will exclusively reveal now. Yes, Yes, no, please. please. (laughs) But no, yeah, because you know what? It's so competitive. There's so many festivals now in in a very similar world of music. And these artists, you know, got limited amount of time. And also in, in fairness, to be honest, a limited amount of fans. So, you know, you can't really, you can't book a headliner who's, who's playing 15 other shows in the UK because you're not all going to sell the tickets as a festival. So you've got to go in, we're, we're starting to make offers earlier and earlier into the process now. So you can lock an artist in, this is how many festivals, you know, we want you to play. This is how much we can pay. This is what it's going to look like. Um, I remember we used to book, we used to take kind of a month off after the festival, chill, party, whatever, and then start working. But now, yeah, we're booking headliners before, well, I guess over a year in advance. So this is how
0: it's going. That's the reality, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, final moments. Where can we go to purchase tickets? Are they, um, I mean, are they still available? Is it sold out? What are packages still, are there?
2: They're still available. Okay. They are on the website, which is www.strawberriesandcream.com. Or you can go through Ticketmaster. Um, as I said, there's day tickets available Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So Friday, LMA, gets Rema saturday's little wayne tion wayne who i've not spoken about who's flying obviously at the moment and mabel and then sunday we've got thames Nux, david rodigan amongst a host of other artists um yeah they're available so come down have a great time it should be sunny the rain's not i was gonna say
0: height of the summer manifesting good good weather
2: absolutely lots of stages an opportunity to discover new music as well as see your favorite artists um and a lot of weekend offerings this year and, and, and experiential kind of activations, which you've never done before. So right. we're working with a whole host of brands this year from Kit Game. Obviously, we've spoken about United Nations Women. We've got I'm Just Bait there as a media partner. who has got some exciting things going on. Nice. Um, KSI and the Sidemen's Vodka brand, XIX Vodka are there in force. Um, there's loads of stuff happening and all of those guys have their own little activations. So if you don't necessarily want to listen to the music at any point in the day, there's other things happening.
0: I think that's the key thing about festivals. This, like at this point in time, is that there is real versatility and variety. Yeah, it's not only about seeing an artist on stage, but the whole experience. It's it's kind of like a mini break.
2: Absolutely, and we've always been clear about that. We never, and this is with no disrespect to any other festivals, but we never wanted to be a concert in a field yeah. with one food option, and you go there and you watch your artist and you go home. We wanted this to be for the Cambridge locals a kind of their own festival and experience of everything that's great about that area of the UK, but also for the Londoners and, and the people coming from outside to feel like it's a break and a getaway. And I don't think you can do that with just music. You know, so we, you know, we've got yoga going on, we've got sip and paint going on, there's mini golf, there's an amusement park, um, there's a Notting Hill Carnival street party, an actual, nice. we, we, got in, we got in contact with Carnival when actually funny enough, during COVID when Carnival wasn't happening, and we're like, you know, obviously we're not two million people in the streets of London, <laughs> but like, you know, we've got some for people UK, in Cambridge. Yeah, bring some of that experience. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, you know, there's, there's all sorts happening throughout the day and the weekend. And I think that's what's going to, you know, make it feel really unique.
0: I was going to say final moments, plug the festival, but I think you've done that pretty comprehensively.
2: I hope so. Oh, I'll get in trouble.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you for coming on Prié.
2: Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. And you guys should all come, by the way.
0: We've reached the conclusion of our show. Thank you to Kiara Wilkinson and Priya Crooks for joining me today. Just a reminder, the current issue of Clash is on newsstands. You can also order from the Clash shop or get all the interviews directly on your phone with our digital reader. Hit up our socials at Clash Magazine for all the latest features, video content and more. I'll be back imminently with our next episode of Overtones. Signing out.